Raising Peace would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast was edited, recorded and mixed. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and future and acknowledge that this was, is and always will be Aboriginal land. It's grown a, a wave of interest in building old systems in, to meet their needs of the modern community and it, in particular it harnesses language because inside the language are much more complex ideas about peace building, about caring for one another. Welcome to episode four of the Raising Peace podcast. Working for peace takes many forms and in this episode we bring you the stories of three very different approaches to it from around Australia. Stories of community awareness building in Ballarat, community activism from the Knitting Nanas, and First Nations peace building across northern and central Australia. These talks are part of the 2023 Raising Peace Festival. There are some references to images they showed during their presentations. In this episode, you'll be hearing from Madonna Quixley, who is the co-convener of Let's Talk Peace Ballarat. Ipe Okazaki is Principal Consultant of One Pacific Dispute Resolution. He's a highly experienced, nationally accredited mediator with a proven track record of serving vulnerable and disadvantaged clients for over 15 years. Dr Helen Bishop is a Kongarakan woman of the Northern Territory. Helen champions dispute resolution as a means for closing the gap in service provision as a constructive tool to enable greater access to restorative justice, effective governance and peace-building practices. But first up, Dr Lorraine Larry. She's a proud member of the Milton Ulladulla District Knitting Nanas on the south coast of New South Wales. She's an eco-feminist, activist, artist, educator and social researcher and her PhD focused on the Knitting Nanas. So I'd like to talk about the Knitting Nanas and, um, and how they formed to start with. I was reading Vandana Shiva's 2012 book called Making Peace with the Earth just recently, and, um, and I was struck by what she said, um, that the bigger problem is the ongoing war against the earth. That was written in 2012, and it also struck me that that was when the Knitting Nanas started um, in the Northern Rivers. So they were part of the mobilisation in the Northern Rivers area of New South Wales, and then they held a, um, a Civic Centre meeting. Um, and I'm telling you the story because I think that not many people actually know what I call the creation story of the Nanas. So um, out of that meeting in the hall, um, there was a, 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 an action group formed and wanting to learn the tactics of peaceful protest, some older women joined a, a non-violent direct action group as a result of this meeting. Instead of being valued for their years of life experience and knowledge, they were quite shocked to be relegated to stereotypical um, roles of writing the minutes, making the tea and providing biscuits. Instead of having their ideas listened to and discussed, they were denigrated and typecast as frail and inconsequential. I suppose they didn't expect us to be on the cutting edge. It's a particular type of sexism that suddenly 
once you reach menopause, you've never had sex, you've never used your brain, you haven't heard half the words in the English language, and you're deaf, yeah, and they speak slowly and loudly to you. So um, after one particularly demeaning meeting, the handful of older women were so shocked at the unexpected negative targeting they experienced from the left-leaning forest, um, native forest, happened to be male campaigners, they spontaneously decided to find a cafe and debrief. I was told um, they looked at each other as they walked out of the meeting and said, and excuse my language here, but this is a direct quote, um, what the fuck just happened there? I imagine the sense of betrayal felt by these women, highly motivated to take meaningful action, not wanting to waste time fighting for equality. The women sidestepped the issue and banded together. So what that means is rather than stay thwarted and disenfranchised, the women decided to not ask for permission and actually um, do what they had uh, these great ideas in doing, which was to devise their alternative activism as a form of guerrilla surveillance, um, which they um, sweetly called Jane Bond, um, saw themselves as Jane Bonds. So um, this is what the surveillance looked like, parked by the side of roads outside um, casino. And uh, this is literally the first knitting nana knit in. Um, they would go out in small groups into the countryside, parked by the roadsides, as you can see, with their knitting, folding chairs, thermoses to, as they said, scope out the works. Um, in other words, watching and recording the mining company Metgasco truck, truck movements. And um, by doing this, they identified that certain things were happening. There were um, holding ponds being excavated for um the collection of the contaminated water that comes out of coal seam gas mining. Um, and that actually led to the very first blockade that um, of the whole movement. Um, so initially knitting was a way of productively passing the time, as you can see when you're sitting just observing. But it soon became a form of environmental activism that older women could engage in. And the women realised that the humour and power of strategically using, if you like, their essentialist grandmotherly um, personas. This has been called by um, a researcher as an oppositional discourse in which women assume the characteristics assigned to them by a phallocentric culture in order to challenge phallocentrism and its description of and prescription for women. So what amazes me about telling this story is that every time I tell it to women and men alike, the reaction is not surprise, but disappointment that this is typical, not new, and often experienced by women. There is understanding and admiration for these older women who banded together and got on with their activism and maintained their collaboration with the whole Northern Rivers anti-coal seam gas mobilisation. I see it as a form of oppression, discrimination and violence. It's time this negative social and cultural construction of old age is challenged. It's time we recognise that ageism is a barrier to participation of the elderly in work, post-work and civil society. 
And I think you'll agree with me that society benefits from the inclusion of all citizens. And I call their approach to peaceful protest using their nananess, that essential strategic um, uh, kind of turning subversion, their nananess, as a craft of wisdom. And I'd just like to now explain craftivism. So the nanas turned the traditional activist sit-in into a knit-in and adopted this as their brand of craftivism. So craftivism combines craft with activism. It's nonviolent um, and achieves, their aim is to achieve social and political change. Um, as women sit and knit, they're not wasting their time. They're engaged in making useful objects for protest or donation, teaching one another and passers-by what they know about fracking, which is coal seam gas extraction, renewables or local environmental issues, and growing hope by showing that anyone can be an activist. Craftivism takes home crafting out of the public sphere when nanas knit in, they claim space and are publicly visible. Um, as one of my interviewees, Nana Evelyn, said, knitting in creates an environment where lots of wisdom gets shared and lots of personal experiences and life experiences get shared. That's where the knitting comes in. It's symbolism and it's also creativity. She said, I think that's what makes the Nanas really. We wouldn't attract attention. We'd just be another group to slam. And we wear the lock the gate colours, um, yellow and black, and also red uh, to connect with First Nations. Some of the nanas in 2012 and 2015 outside in Lismore, outside their local politician, Thomas George, National Party politicians' offices um, knitting in. The second um, image shows that uh, the police were called in. After three years, Thomas George called the police in to move the women on. And knowing their legal rights, as they had been taught by the Environmental Defender's Office, they um, said, no, actually, we're just sitting peacefully knitting. And if anything, um, Constable, you are blocking the footpath. Um, so they got to stay. Um, so it's clearly peaceful and non-confrontational and a clever older women's activist strategy that fits in well with, well with older women's capabilities and sensibilities. It's a, a sitting in knitting circles is a bit like the Aboriginal yarning circles um, in a sense. So in the Nanifesto, the Nanas say, we want to leave this land no worse than we found it for our children, grandchildren. Um, and a, a future that's clean and healthy. Very much a social justice perspective. There's a public misconception that political activists and protesters are young, unwashed, unemployed and unemployable. And we know now, after um, over 10 years of um, the, the nanadom, that this is definitely not true. Anyone can be an activist if nanas can, and contribute to change. And any type of action can be strong. If we just get together, use our strengths, we can make change. And this is the kind of uh, thing they say about 
their experiences in nanogroups, which we call loops, because we like to use the metaphors of knitting, and we like to knit the world together um, stitch by stitch rather than um, separating and dividing communities. We can we try and connect. And the camaraderie and empathy of the knitting nanas gives strength and hope as a group, not just within the group, but um, to other people who see them. I've been um, out on the highway in Ulladulla and um, people drive by, toot, um, scream out appreciation. It's just wonderful. It's know your radical eco-tourist. I love the nana's guts, creativity, all the women we've spoken week. The openness, creativity, determination, stamina, being incredibly diverse and creative bunch of women is the most inspiring and fun thing I've ever experienced. A peaceful empowerment that we can make the difference. Madonna Quixley, Let's Talk About Peace Ballarat. Madonna has is co-convener of Let's Talk Peace Ballarat and the National Peace Sector Lead in the Australian Charter for Compassion. Megan J. Riedel's poem, Fallout, gives you a look around Ballarat and encapsulates peace promotion emblematic of our status as a UNESCO creative city. So today I'll touch on some of the people, partnerships, principles and projects that propel peace here in Ballarat. So the first thing we did, and this is before even we created Let's Talk Peace, Ballarat, but as a, as a member of of the Ballarat Interfaith Network, uh, I approached them to sign uh, the Interfaith Open Letter sent to the Prime Minister to support the TPNW, that at that time was Scott Morrison. And um, uh, Councillor Belinda Coates, she also put forward a motion for the TPNW, uh, Treaty on the Pro Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. And despite a petition and support from the Ballarat Interfaith Network and Compassionate Ballarat and support from many other people, uh, we lost that motion three to six, but at the same time, we discovered uh, that in 2008, Ballarat had actually signed up uh, to the Mayors for Peace. So um, I think uh, Ipe and uh, Helen might mention in their presentation, we were talking the other day, how so much depends on who's in power at the time um, that people sign these things, but there often isn't a, a, a system to, to keep it going. Um, so December 2020, as we were emer Ballarat emerging out of the COVID lockdowns, we met in a rotunda on Sturt Street, which is the main street of Ballarat. Uh, we decided to call ourselves Let's Talk Peace Ballarat. We began a Facebook page and we started planning an event to celebrate the coming into force of the, the treaty. The event was actually really wonderful because the courier gave us a great write up. Um, this is the, this was honouring the importance of peace, and Dr. Tillman Ruff um, gave a brilliant presentation. We also had uh, Indigenous Elder Al Harris, who's um, the advisor to um, Charter for Compassion in Australia, and his family had been impacted by nuclear tests in South Australia, and um, so we were very lucky that um, people there were able to speak both knowledgeably and from the heart, and this began what we, what we term a sort of bit of a tradition of having a keynote speech on the necessity of peace to mark the anniversary 
of the coming into force of the TPNW. And this is where our connections with the Global Charter really came into their own. Uh, we were able over the last two years to um, contribute toward the global Martin Luther King Jr. 40 Days of Peace. Uh, Reverend Tim Costello did a speech on the ethics of peace and Dr. Marian Hansen uh, talked about her book, Challenging Nuclearism. And we also contributed uh, from Australia to the Charter for Compassion's Global Read. Each month they have a particular book that they focus on and we nominated this book and uh, the tapes of all these things are available on on the website for either for the Charter for Compassion globally and or the Charter for Compassion in Australia. And so we thought we were on a winner. So we um, we actually applied for more funding to, to do a um, uh, an event called Disturbance for the Peace, but we, we didn't get the funding for that. Um, so we we decided to go in a different direction, but in between that and uh, subsequent to the International Day of Peace, uh, we tried again to have the TPNW uh, uh, sort of the motion accepted by the council, but it was rejected again, uh, four to five, at least we'd, we'd gone up one. So that was good because the first one was three to six. We were able to procure Golden Plains Shire support for the Australian Local Government Association motion, which meant uh, at their annual meeting that there was actually unanimous support at the national level for the TPNW. So that was that was something to be pretty happy about. The kids got to do projects, got to hear about the, um, the story behind uh, International Peace Day. And this is something that we encourage and get we're trying to get um, as involved with the youth as we possibly can. So just a few other strategies that we employ. Um, we donate peace-related books to the Ballarat Library, the schools with peace polls and others. Um, on the, the National Day of Compassion coincides with the International uh, Peace Day. So um, yeah, all the, the tapes of all these uh, interviews are um, available also at the um, Australian Charter for Compassion website. And some of the, there's like some really, really good stuff there. Uh, so the next thing that we've done is screening films. Um, some from the point of view of very, the soft side, I guess you'd call it, um, the inner piece that people want to work on and some very, very uh, gritty, like the road to war. And that was a wonderful partnership that we had with, um, Ballarat Trades Hall to, to screen that. Um, uh, and when we screen these films, we, we have great discussions afterwards. So people uh, really start to think about what peace might mean and look like in their lives. And so that's pretty much it from me. Um, obviously, being part of the community, being creative at all those different levels. So thanks very much for your attention. Our next speakers, Dr. Helen Bishop and Ippi Ozaki, um, who are both peace practitioners and working in alternative dispute resolution. They're mediators, accredited mediators, and they work mostly, I think, with First Nations people. Um, as I say, a beautiful connection, this uh, care for land, which the 
um, First Nations people have for many, many years. Um, so over to you, Ify and Helen. So engaging and cooperating with First Nations peace builders and peacemaking and relationship building, it's in, about Indigenous governance methodologies, really. And the work we do is only stimulating the ideas and the importance of the people Ipe and I have both worked with, um, from the Tiwi Islands down to the desert areas of Uindamu, Lajmanu, um, Alice Springs, and thereabouts. So some of the people, and Ipe's added to my list, and we've contributed together because this is our own experience of the work we've done together. Um, the Ponky mediators of the Tiwi Islands, um, we've got the Kuditch Law and Justice Group of Large Manu and uh, Kuditch um, for Yuendamu, they're Walpuri language speakers and land own, uh, traditional owners. Ali Kriang forms part of that, uh, that group of three. Um, and then there's the Catherine Governance um, Project um, of Work. Um, Yuri Pigeon, I'm sorry, we're, uh, Pigeon Jiri um, from Wulara, another um, um, Walpri group, and of course Alice, Alice Springs Town Camp and the um, AYP lands in the desert. I, I didn't actually work there, but certainly we've both got really rich experience and um relationships in supporting these communities to develop their own methods to um, put those methods into language um, that meets their how they work in their world uh, we don't know those things we 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 honor that they do have them and we're not there to teach them a western way of practice um, and certainly we don't go there unless there is an invitation to to attend on their communities. Just by way of background, um, for those who I, I, I too actually have a connection with the Hibakusha, which is the uh, survivors of the nuclear holocaust that uh, occurred uh, not only in Japan, but in Australia as well. Um, my grandmother being uh, Hiroshima uh, born, and uh, she just happened to be uh, not uh, attending school that particular day. Um, I, I guess uh, my journey as part of this is um, a complete outsider um, to the uh, the ways, the customs, the language um, of the Aboriginal um, or First Nations people. We'll be sharing some of the stories that uh, Helen and I have worked together. Um, we individually I've done a number of uh, other projects in other parts of the community. And um, I think this might just give you maybe a broad sense of um, some of the, the challenges and also some of the, um, I guess, the um, uh, some of the learnings um, uh, we've actually picked up along the way. And I hope it would be very useful in your own community. Um, I certainly um, uh, resonated uh, much with um, some of the creativity and uh, some of the uh, community relationships built 
um, in the Ballarat example, and also with the knitting. Uh, and it's, we, I think there's so much um, to be said about uh, creativity. Um, the invitation is highly, highly uh, important. Um, there are many, many organisations, probably well-meaning organisations that do go out to communities, but they inevitably uh, dismally um, to deliver what they are hoping to um, because maybe they just didn't know how to build relationships and uh, they might be real resource um, and they might have um, government support. But um, Helen and I found um, the in this presentation is the communities that we genuinely built relationships over many, many uh, months and years and uh, still continue to have uh, relationships um, despite the fact that uh, we're not always in the community. We have to have lots of planning um, with the communities that we work with. And uh, once in a, a date has been settled, then it's reminders, it's contact, phone calls, emails. We use every form of uh, communication we can. We encourage people to attend, but we're talking to main people who are able to mobilise the community to um, check that, you know, there's nothing's transpired that's going to inhibit attendance, um, such as funerals or sorry business. Or ceremony time. Um, there's sometimes ceremony time and, of course, we can't attend. Uh, but it's working with the community members themselves who, who have agreed. Certain members of the Tiwi community would ring him and say, we really want you to come over and do more training with us. And it wasn't about us. It was actually about being supported and being um, able to talk about conflict and conflict management for their own communities and what worked best for them. Um, so they're the main parts. And we had, we had to build relationships with shires, with other agencies in order to ensure that attendance was going to be not just successful, but it was going to be funded for the community to attend, to have their lunch done, to have all the resources available to them, because we didn't want to um, draw on community resources because they are so scant. Helen and I first met uh, on a project working on uh, the islands. Um, Helen was given this impossible project to um, pretty much um, establish uh, centres right across Northern Territory. Helen invited me to this project and she said, okay, let's just do Tiwi Islands and let's do that really, really well. Uh, to which um, I um, was the director of the community uh, me uh, mediation service run by the NT government. And um, so we invested uh, quite heavily um, working with the Tiwi people until we actually worked hard to develop the Tiwi language um, um, that still exists in the community uh, today. And that was something really interesting to workshop the idea of language. Um, and the fact that so many people were so interested in this particular um, training, we didn't set the dates, the community set the dates, and uh, we had great turnout every time we attended. And 
many of the other government agencies were kind of surprising. And how do you do this? It's like, well, we're, we're invited. That's probably um, an obvious thing, but we just gained what the, um, the whole idea about our op modus operandi, which is about earning the trust. Gradually, we, we, we carried on with this uh, Tiwi mediation program and we eventually developed it to the state. Um, uh, the Tiwi elders would go out to the um, at, at Darwin Correctional Centre and talk to uh, prisoners or Tiwi incarcerated for over 25 years to sit down underneath a big mango tree in the prison and talk about the life outside incarceration when they're eventually released. These restorative justice, uh, I think most people would recognise um, meetings underneath these mango trees and people would actually successfully reintegrate back into community rather than not having a plan at all and in the city and ending up in the uh, recidivism cycle. Um, that um, itself created a number of interests from other communities. And then we were actually, and Helen invited to other communities and then another community. But before we actually went to another community, we invited people from that community, Ajimanu, uh, to visit Tiwi Islands and maybe experience what we did during the training, and then they would absorb, think about what they saw. Hmm, if they, that was really good training, we want you to come to our community yesterday, but you need to make some changes to make it work for my community. And I said, well, that's, so we're able to get this idea um, through one community to another community. And along the way, we learned um, that of course, the people on the Tiwi Islands have a certain way of teaching and delivering. And of course, people in Walpuri countries have a different way. I'll just talk about a community rather than naming the community. Um, and that was this continual feeding, feeding back, this continual interest in the progress and recording the progress of the communities who'd suffered some major events. Um, uh, the man in the bottom left-hand corner um, supported a community um, a long time ago now to return to its, its former self and make an agreement with, Ipo was involved in this as well, but also stay in the community and live there and count down the days of peace they, they had reached. Each day he'd go out and meet people, he'd record the number of days of peace that were existent in that community and that the community was starting to um, gain and build this trust. And of course, this word spread out across Walpuri uh, that are very, um, very um, widely spread across the desert region um, of the Northern Territory and into South Australia. And so other communities came on board, such as um, Ali Kriang or, or uh, Lajmanu, or these other communities started growing this approach because it had formerly been active many, many decades ago, but there was no resources 
and no adequate support for the communities to continue doing this work. So, of course, that trigger to um, inhibit conflict or resolve conflict had been, um, I think, damaged uh, because of that lack of practice, but it was also a contributing factor about colonisation, not, not being allowed to perform ceremonies when children and people were removed or disassociated from their country or, or um, um, dispossessed of their countries. This idea of communication meant working with other agencies that would sponsor that same approach to the community groups who were involved and telling their story of building peace again, because it wasn't an unfamiliar thing, because the ancestors had developed these mechanisms well before the word mediation has ever been established in Australia. There was a sense of um, shame being part of this community as, a, um, as, as the conflict uh, just got out of hand. And um, as part of the communication strategy we put together was um, celebrating what was everything that was so good about the community. And uh, we created um, our, the, uh, the local Facebook group. And uh, you can see the police officers even waving a flag uh, saying, I love this community. Um, and, um, and, these, and there was so much rubbish talk on um, social media that was actually so toxic. And, uh, and, and um, you can, and social media is so double-edged. Uh, it can be so toxic, but also uh, used for uh, positive. Um, so we uh, um, effectively um, helped the community uh, through the art centre um, create many art programs, um, supporting the local footy team, and and um, and many ways of uh, looking at um, bringing community pride back. So one of the important parts of working with the communities was developing a way to um, not talk about confidentiality because in communities confidentiality everybody knows everybody's business um, not the details of their business I think it was really well uh, refined by Ipe to bring this to the fore and say, well, what's the one story you want to leave this room with? I'm not saying that people don't value confidentiality. That isn't the type of language that's used in communities per se. Um, so it was that they developed the uh, notion of having one story they agreed that they could share with all other people out in the communities and that they would say that one story is this is this was our agreement everything's okay now or or it mightn't be okay this was our agreement and we agreed this is this is what we agreed we weren't trying to follow a western framework of working with community when relationships are so important to community members and everyone is connected. We created these little wristbands and they were only given to um, people who were genuinely with the idea of um, uh, peacemaking and uh, they came in different colours <laughs> and uh, it became something you know, that people wanted to be part of. 
and uh, people identify themselves as peacemakers, but in a cultural way, because uh, there's also cultural responsibilities. And that was part of the strength of this model. So the, the legacy is it's grown a, a wave of interest in building old systems in to meet their needs of the modern community. And it, in particular, it harnesses language because inside the language are much more complex ideas about peace building, about caring for one another. Um, that word that um, Ipe used, Narawarajiri, is looking after each other and caring for each other. And it's a Tiwi word from the um, Tiwi Islands. And they've got, a, they even released a song um, around Narawarajiri. The, the important focus was that they're using their language to conduct, convey these deeper connections to country, to people, to relationships, to the environment and the ecology of the whole of their estates rather than the surface issues of where they're living and what's going on in where they're living. So it became much a much deeper way for them to embed the whole idea of building peace in a culturally responsive and careful way. So what I, Helen and I did was actually develop um, or identify in language the Tiwi Islander mediator standards. And um, so it took us about 18 months to go on this journey, but we actually identified um, languages and their own ethics and their own cultural practices and knowledge experience. And we actually identified that the Tiwi Islander mediation standards or TMAS, if you like acronyms, was actually higher, higher level required than the national um, level uh, projects is to invite peacemakers um, who work in these remote locations to have an opportunity to come together um, in a meaningful way about some of the work that these people, um, these amazing practitioners do in the community. And, um, and it's an opportunity for learning cross-pollination, but it's also a safety mechanism. We've been able to get quite a few people who are really keen to be present and to speak, to mingle with other mediators, whether they're Western or other Indigenous bodies who come from overseas, such as from New Zealand or Canada or Papua New Guinea or Bougainville. The point is, is that getting them into that same space helps people to get used to hearing about First Nations practices. But the other part of the equation is that First Nations practices are now, they're starting to believe in themselves. They're expressing that they want to meet other First Nation mediators who work outside of their areas in other countries and exchange notes. They're, they're starving, but it is just as important internally in Australia that Australia starts to take notice of these very deeply um, motivated reasons for wanting to manage conflict in their own communities prior to criminal justice contact because it is a very restorative approach. 
You've been listening to the Racing Peace podcast. Special thanks to our guests, Madonna Quixley, Dr. Lorraine Larry, Dr. Helen Bishop, and Ipe Okazaki. The episode was produced by James Cox from Raising Peace and mixed and edited by Glenn Morrow from Audiocraft. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks for listening.